Welcome to the Future of Work Live. Hosted by Mark Salisbury, author of the new book, Socrates Digital for Learning and Problem Solving. Each 25-minute episode with Mark and his guests prepares you for the upcoming new world of work. Welcome to the Future of Work Live. I'm Mark Salisbury, your host. Today, Erica Barrero will be my guest, and she will discuss the work to learn movement. So right now, we're going to say welcome to Erica. And bring on. Welcome, Erica. Thank you so Glad much. Glad you could Mark. be with Glad us today. today. Okay, for those of you who don't know Erica personally, let me tell you a little bit about her. She's Dr. Erica Barrero. Barrero. <laughs> I knew I was going to do that, <laughs> is a future work strategist at Central New Mexico Community College and acts as an advisor, leader, and contributor to a future forward college direction. Her work includes building the skills-based learning and work ecosystem, and she's been a leader in related state and national collaborative efforts, such as learning, such as the Learning Credential Network. And it's a blockchain network for storing and exchanging credentials, and Unmuddle, a skills-based market connect marketplace connecting working learners, employers, and community colleges. You know, I probably should have practiced that. <laughs> so welcome, Erica. <laughs> nice to have you with us today. Thank you so much, Mark. Glad to be here today. Yeah. So, you know, let's just start out with, cut to the chase here, is what is the work to learn movement? Well, it, um, the work to learn movement involves uh, a couple of different uh, trends that we're seeing uh, in response to the fact that uh, the traditional system of higher education that we've had for quite some time, um, where somebody, a young person um, kind of uh, invests in their uh, early career education to get a college degree and then goes to work is really no longer sufficient anymore to keep um, to keep up to date uh, with the technological change. And so, um, and there's a lot of other disruptive factors going on in our landscape um, as well. And so what we're seeing is this emergence of um, allowing people to go to work first um, or use their work as learning experiences. And so there is this um, kind of blending, uh, no longer well, this is learning and this is working, but rather that learning and working can actually happen at the same time. And that we're seeing more schools, uh, education institutions provide work-based learning experiences and more employers providing um, on-site more structured formal learning experience that complements uh, the work that we are uh, doing. And so, um, you know, some examples of this is the growth of apprenticeships. Uh, Colorado mm -hmm. is certainly a state in, in the USA that's taken a lead on that. Um, we're also seeing more um, employers who are um, promoting uh, the opportunity for individuals to advance their education, that they will invest in their education. Uh, and I think we're going to see a growing number of people who are looking to um, the employers to provide on-site learning experiences that help them advance uh, within the organization or or even going somewhere else. Hmm. Interesting. You know, I've had a little bit of this in, in my own family. I have a nephew 
And he's thinking about computer science as a, as a major. And as you know, I teach computer science. And so I know a little bit about this. But <clears throat> he doesn't know if he wants to go all in and invest, right? And see if he likes yeah. it and go off to college and all those things. So he's looking at a program by New York University where it's one of these MOOC-based programs, but they basically do what they call a micro bachelor's degree in computer science. And it's four courses and they're kind of like the backbone of the undergraduate you know, um, curriculum in computer science. And so his idea is um, that he's gonna just start taking these courses and then at the end of this, you're going to have enough skill that you can be hired. And then you're on your way to wherever you're going. Right. And so this is very much, uh, you know, one of the things he's thinking about and thinking about trying to go to school and get prepared get a job and not go into debt. Right. And so that's all part of this. And it sounds to me like this is something you might be familiar with and you've heard about. Yeah, it's it's really a common. Um, we're seeing it more common where where um, people are one. You know, I mean, think about the fact that when you were eighteen and going to college, and we had to pick a major, and a lot of times it's like oh, I don't know what I want to do, and yet we're asking people to kind of figure out what they want to do for the rest of their life and invest four years. And so, what your nephew is doing is a perfect example of. Um, going out and getting some kind of short-term credential that gives you enough skills to move into the field that you think you're interested in, actually experience what that field is like, and either make a decision to continue your career and educational um, pathway to advance in that field, or discovering, oh, wow, this is not what I expected, yeah. and I need to, to kind of go back and try something else, right? And I've, so I've had it, students in my office there. Yeah, and I've had students yeah. in my office right. tell me and, that. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, the way a lot of degrees are currently set up is that you don't discover that until the end of your program, right? Like yeah. um, certain programs will have that internship experience or work experience, but it doesn't happen until after you've invested four years. And by then you feel like, wow, I've, I've got to stay committed to this. Because yeah. look how much time and money I've already invested in this in this pursuit. And you know, something else strikes me when I when I look at my nephew, and then I look at some of the students that I advise, um, because we're we're doing registration right now, right? And so I'm looking at their their proposed classes, and it's a good thing. We're, we're a liberal arts school, you know. We've got computer science in it. And it kind of makes you a whole person. We got people who are, you know, you're taking theology, you're taking philosophy, you're taking history, you're taking all these other things that enrich your life in so many ways. That's more than job skills. And I look at this and I go, well, my nephew's kind of missing out on that. And then, of course, one of the things we've talked about, if you find your profession, then you can still work on the rest of you. Right. And I think that's yeah. an interesting idea that we have is that we not only have roles as workers in our society, but we have roles as community members. We have civic roles in picking our government. Uh, we have so many other things that we can really be informed by other kinds of educational learning experiences beyond, you know, just those. And I think part of that that keeps us from doing that is, you know, we do have to get a job at the end of the day. 
And so, you know, and if that's the only thing you think about, and then, you know, when you go to a school like mine, we make you take the other stuff because we're saying, you know, you're going to want to know this later, right? But maybe we can kind of, uh, like they call it, unbundle them. You know, the ideas of all these different aspects of ourselves we're trying to develop. Can we work on them separately? So what do you think about that? You know, I think you bring up such uh, an important point. Um, and what I think about is, again, developmentally, where we are at 18, you know, our frontal cortex in our brain is doesn't fully develop until we're like 24 or 25. And because of that, it means that oftentimes, I mean, that, that element of, of that piece of our brain is what allows us to um, do executive higher order thinking. It's what allows us to do long-term planning. And, and so again, if we, if we think about really when is the right time to put a learning experience in front of someone that helps them understand their, their role as citizens, that helps them understand the relevancy of why they might study humanities and fine arts in order to be a better citizen, I think at 18, we're telling people, you have to take these courses. I think yes. at 24 and 25, when we've seen a little bit of the world, we have a greater appreciation and an ability to make the connections between these seemingly kind of theoretical concepts to the world that we are trying to understand and live in. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly. I think um, I was past twenty five. I was about fifty when my frontal lobes started yeah. to finally develop. So, what about the potential upsides of of this trend? Now you're seeing this trend. What's what's the good thing that can happen out of this? Well, I think we, um, you know, you kind of alluded to it uh, before that you know the rising cost of a secondary education has become a barrier. Um, for people um, really being able to access it or invest in it. And so I think if we start designing systems that chunk learning into smaller increments that are stackable, um, it allows greater access to different populations to actually, um, you know, being able to kind of get skills that get them a good paying job that then they can um, use to help further invest in their um, in their education. So I really believe that this movement um, really does increase access and equity. Mm -hmm. I also think that um, it allows people, we've already again talked about, to try things out um, yeah. before they're making a commitment to a job that may not be aligned ultimately to their passions and their strengths. Um, I think that, um, you know, that idea of also we learn best when we, um, when we get to do it. Right. And so um, the model that we currently have is learn first and then yeah. do it. And so this blending allows us to say and recognize like we need to learn and apply, learn and apply. And they shouldn't be these separate siloed experiences. They should be, you know, continuous and ongoing in a way that people see the relevancy all the time of what they're learning. Well, that seems like something that would be good for all of us. I think we all have a responsibility to ourselves and, and the people that have to be around us that we're going to continue to learn, uh, you know, uh, through our lives. And so what's the what's the potential downside of this? It seems like it's all good to me. Um, 
there are a couple things that for different stakeholders are potential downsides. Um, you know, thinking about um, higher ed institutions right now, I would argue that they are facing the biggest disruption to the existing model of higher ed. And this is a movement that further potentially disrupts um, some of the some of the um, some of the universities and colleges uh, in terms of that pipeline of high school students. Right, we may see more high school students that are not choosing to have that four year traditional college experience, but rather are looking for something that allows them to work and learn at the same time. Uh, and so that that's going to require some real uh, transformation and transition of many colleges. I think the other thing that I, I, you know, think we need to pay attention to is the role of employers um, and the increasing role of employers in taking on responsibility for learning. And the reason that that has a potential downside, because it has a potential upside too, but the but the potential downside is that employers are not held to the same kind of requirements that public institutions are yeah. in terms yeah. of ensuring equity and access. So, you know, an example is, you know, as a as a higher ed institution, I have to make sure learning experiences are accessible to people with disabilities, learning disabilities. Yeah. As an employer, I right now don't have that same um, kind of requirement. And then the last thing I would say that we really need to pay attention to is um, what are the federal and state policies that we're going to need to put in place that support um, all employers in offering these work learn experiences. Right now, the, the big giants are the ones that are kind of able to fund, yeah. you know, we've seen it again with corporate entities, IBM, Walmart, Target, um, they're the they're the kind of winners right now in the talent game because they have the resources to be able to support this. And yet America is largely made up of mid to small businesses. Yeah. And so how do we have a, an ecosystem, a learning ecosystem that provides support um, that historically has come in the form to institutions of higher ed as financial aid? How do we recognize that? and repackage that type of educational aid in ways that might flow to employers or flow directly to the learner and be applied across multiple systems. Yeah, yeah I, 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 that makes a, a whole lot of sense. One of the things I, I also, I spent a tour being in administration at institutions of higher education, so I didn't escape that. But one of the things I thought and I tried to support is this notion that we kind of change how we view what we do for our students. You know, instead of this big bang theory, we come for four years and we're good the rest of our lives, that we're more of a support group, a community, and where people learn for a lifetime, right? And they come back and there's professional development. Uh, there's all these other things that help us fulfill these roles that we all have in life. And that institutions kind of change the way, you know, that they view what they deliver to society and especially the time frame and how people can use that. And it strikes me we haven't quite made that threshold yet. We're still we're still talking about, you know, our freshman class looks really small, you know, and next year looks a little smaller. And we don't think about the, the long haul. And I and I think it's 
and I, this is, gets back to your background in policy, I think there's somehow we need to do this so that institutions of uh, education can kind of take this step together. Because if you step out on your own, it's hard to be able to establish the things that you need to do, I think. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that perspective and really um, being able to kind of have a collective impact on shaping some of those federal and state policies, um, those, um, those social supports and networks that need to be in place um, to protect the most vulnerable in the system uh, in particular, but also to continue to um, you know, invest in the educational growth of our citizenry, right? Like we know how critical that is particularly as we move to what what folks are you know some folks are calling the fourth industrial revolution that the yeah. the, the dependency on knowledge professionals um, and and that role is really going to require a lifetime investment of ongoing learning rather than just seeing learning as something that happens at, primarily at the beginning of your career and so I I, I am heartened by the fact that I see more and more state and federal, as well as business and educational institution conversations about this right now. Um, you know, in that what I call that learning and work ecosystem um, that is needed for the modern world uh, today. Yeah, I, I I I completely see that. And I one of the things, and you probably know this about me, but you but you might, is I've done a lot of work in the area of technology and people. And I really like that intersection. And one of the things I like to think about is as we move into the future of work, that we're going to be asked to learn. This is what people do. And we're going to learn the things that don't quite fit into a recipe yet. And as we learn new things, we help inform the, the entities around us, which we call technology, you know, about what we've learned. And basically, the machines now do the work. And our job is to do the learning. And I think that's kind of our new relationship. And I think it completely fits this conversation we're having today. Yeah, it, it also reminds me, um, uh, Heather McGowan is, is someone that does a lot of work in uh, Future of Work. And I believe it was her that said, um, you know, that today's college graduate can likely anticipate that they will work in 17 different jobs yeah. across five different yeah. industry sectors. And, and so just that kind of context for thinking about um, the, the way we need to prepare, um, for me, makes it more essential that our formal education is starts shifting away, and we're certainly seeing this, from teaching specific knowledge to really um, teaching skills and how you apply those skills, such as learning critical thinking and problem solving in a variety of contexts that are not just limited to specializing in a certain discipline. Uh, because we are gonna see an evolution of many jobs um, that don't exist today, but much more rapidly than we've ever experienced before. Yeah. And that takes me back to, to our audience, Erica. People tune in because they want to get some little nugget from us and that's going to change their lives. So, you know, uh, what can our audience or how can our audience leverage this trend for advancing their own careers right now? 
Yeah. So, you know, it's, I think, been really one interesting phenomena that we've seen um, as a result of the pandemic is what's called the great resignation, right? And that great yeah. resignation is reflective of a number of people that are really re-examining their, uh, the value proposition of work as it relates to their family, as it relates to the purpose and the meaningful work that they want to be engaged in. And so one of the things that that is resulting in is um, people are looking for different types of work opportunities. And at the top of the list, um, as they look for new opportunities, is what is this organization going to do to help me learn and grow? Yeah. So I think if anyone in your audience is at that place, right, uh, it's good to know that companies, many companies are very aware that that is something that people are seeking. And I would be asking um, my either your current organization or if you're looking for new opportunities, like what is it that you can do right now to help me learn and grow? Um, I think that one of, again, one of the interesting things I've seen a lot more conversation about um, having what's called, you know, internal job marketplaces within uh, organizations. And so it's this idea of, you mentioned unbundling of education degrees uh, before, we're also gonna be unbundling jobs, which means mm -hmm. there are increasing opportunities for people who are in one role to, um, in an internal job marketplace, to actually say, you know, I'd really like to learn skills around uh, data. I would like to learn skills around human resources. And some of these companies that have um, set up these internal marketplaces are giving employees the opportunity that would never have had the opportunity before to do work inside of another division or organization to actually gain experience in that, which may ultimately just make them better at the jobs that they currently have yeah. or create opportunities for them to move laterally within the company, which um, to date has generally been limited, right? Kind of once you get yourself in a particular career ladder, you either go up or you don't, yeah. right? And there's not a lot, there's not been a lot of movement. I heard someone talk about um, across the career jungle gym. And so <laughs> companies are really looking for those opportunities to create that career jungle gym. And I would say as an employee and a worker, I would be proactive in looking for those opportunities, yeah. even if they're not formalized inside of your organization to be talking to your supervisor um, and asking what are the opportunities that I can find in our organization through formal education or informal education through those work-based learning experiences that can be supported while yeah. I'm doing my job. Yeah. Well, you know what? Since we're 25 minutes, Erica, we're coming in for a landing now. <laughs> so our takeaway, and I, I kind of tried to put this together, is, is the work to learn movement can advance education and careers for many Americans and actually grow our economy. So do you want to expand on that just a little bit so people have something to take away with them? Sure. I mean, I think, um, you know, this just captures a lot of the themes that we've been talking about um, and that the more opportunities we are providing people while they're working to learn and advance, um, the better we benefit. You know, I know some companies have been concerned about this idea of, well, if I invest in an individual, 
um, in their education, and then they're going to leave, right? They're going to yep. leave and find this other opportunity um, because they're not going to stay with my company for more than three to five years. But if we start recognizing that it's that collective, right, um, effort mm -hmm. that actually forwards the economic well-being of the community as a whole when we are investing in our people i think that we will actually see um, that investment payback in dividends oh very good well thanks for being with us today erica i just want to point out to our audience that you can connect with erica barrero on linkedin for more on the future of work and learning so thank you for being with us and bringing a fresh little bit of fresh air to this program we certainly appreciate it and for those folks that are now just thinking about tuning out, remember that our next episode is Wednesdays. It's always on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time. We'll see you then.